This is Laura Van Arendongba, and you're listening to To Write and Have Written, a writer's guide to the business side. This is an audio recording of the weekly live stream where you can join us each Tuesday on Twitch. Details and a schedule of upcoming guests and topics can be found at lauravab.com. Now to this week's episode. Twitch. I, th- I think we're live. I think it worked. We're live. I think it worked. Okay. I'm going to ask the chat to tell us how many people they can hear since the sound was being so bad. So while you you grab that, what page? Okay. So, hey, everybody. It's Tuesday night. This is To Write and Have Written. I am Laura Vidarandangba. I have here with me, Immy, who I... Oh, good. I did actually put her Twitter up there because I was just just about to say whose name I totally forgot to add, but no, it is on there. So... um, uh, Ira Borovet. Um, yes. Okay. Oh, Bridger can hear two people. Seeker says he can hear us. Oh, this is that's excellent. Oh, hey. Yeah. You. There was like much panic happening for the last few minutes while I couldn't mm. get any sound to come out. <laughs> I could hear Emmy, but the rest of the world could not. So. Um, so all right. So yay. Um, so we're just gonna jump right in tonight. Um, no, no precursors or preambles or anything because I want to use all the time to just let Emmy go. So tonight's oh. topic. <laughs> Um, and then I will I will ask questions of anything that goes by that I think looks cool. Hey, let me mute my phone like a responsible adult. Excuse me, one second. I just realized oh, I yeah. haven't done that. All right. <laughs> um, so this is a learn with me week here on the show. So this is where we get to learn about things that I don't know about, which encompasses a great deal of territory. And um, <laughs> so, but things that will be useful. Um, as we're writing our historical or fantasy or sci-fi or or whatever worlds. And um, Emmy's been with us before um, talking Yay. about metal casting, which was much fun. And then this time it's about historical fiber arts, which is actually a really, really huge topic. And we will probably not cover every culture from the dawn of time. Um, but, uh, but Emmy has specialties that she will share with us. And then if we have other questions, we can go there. So... Um, so, I mean, how much structure do you want? Do you, do you want me to just, like, turn you loose and then I'll ask questions? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I'll just kind of go from the beginning, and then if you it. have questions, right. just kind of pop so the in. the um, crust begins to cool. We yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and I have, if anybody is interested in learning about this as an actual, like, hobby thing and not just like I need approximate knowledge so that I can write approximate things about it in my fantasy novel. Um, I do have several book recommendations um, oh, that are very fun and informative. But um, so my so my name is sure Ivor. I will those from you and I will yes. put them in the show notes. People who are hearing okay. this on the podcast later. They will be there. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so my name is uh, Ivor Rivet. Also, I go by Emmy. Um, and I uh, have been weaving as a hobby for um, several years now and kind of fell into the fiber arts pit because if you stay doing <laughs> one part of it long enough, you're going to pick up another thing. And I, I have done almost everything except own sheep at this point, um, So, which is a hard line for me, but um, this, for some people, they go all the way. So, uh, so my my experience with fiber arts mostly has a historical um, slant in like Iron Age um, slash like Viking medieval type stuff. So, um, it's 
most of my knowledge comes from that context, but uh, it's you'll see similar developments happen across um, a lot of cultures across the world. So, um, but that's kind of where where I'm coming from. Um, so when we say fiber arts, um, it's it's the very broad category of taking either a plant or animal material that comes in like little little strands of stuff and eventually transforming that into string um, and eventually transforming that string into cloth. And it is a um, very big and laborious task that um, just pre-industrial revolution was absolutely like super time consuming made clothes and cloth very valuable um and and that's just kind of how it was before you had like big machines to to take care of everything and simplify a lot of those processes so um so you're gonna go ahead uh let's say you are uh like a person out in the wild and you want some clothes, you're going to go ahead and find a sheep, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't have a stuffed animal sheep, but this is, this is my sheep skin. Um, you're either going to, you're going to find some kind of source of fibers. So um, very broadly, uh, pre-industrial revolution, your, your fibers are going to come from one of two sources, either plants or animals. Um, and uh, animals have protein-based fibers, uh, plants largely have cellulose-type fibers, so like um, your cellulose fibers would be cotton, linen, um, nettle. I've, I've seen some people get into uh, like spinning and weaving that, which is like super hardcore. Um, your animal-based uh, fibers. Is that the stingy kind of nettle, or is that? I does think that work? so. There, I I recently um, so the the stem of the nettle plant. I think it it acts very similar to linen, where um, when when you're taking um, when you're comparing a linen fiber with say something like a cotton. Um, the length of the fiber that you're working with is going to define like how it behaves and how easy it is to spin and how smooth everything is going to turn out. Um, so in the case of linen, your fiber actually comes from the entire stalk or the stem of the plant. So however tall your plant is when you cut it down is how long your fibers are going to be. Um, kind of like if you... Um, uh, you know, like you've ever cracked open a celery stick or something like that, and you have like those little, little tough things that I hate getting stuck between my teeth. <laughs> Though that's kind those of like things. what you're harvesting from the linen plant. Um, and so you're you can get something that's you know several feet long versus something like a cotton, where you know you're getting that little cotton puff of um, you know short little staple fibers. So that's gonna kind of affect the the behavior of you know your yarn that you make and ultimately your your cloth um and then if you it, you kind of see that difference too in animal fibers with um with sheep there are particular breeds of sheep that are bred to have like very long fibers or short you know undercoats or you know whatever that there's a whole bunch of different things that i don't understand well enough to really talk definitively on but there, there's a whole variety of of lengths of of fibers that you're going to have um and the key thing that uh let me actually get some stuff while you're grabbing that i'm um, gonna interrupt real quickly sure. um so the chat is informing me that we have 
Im- just a massive, massive lag going on. Mm. Um, they were hearing you mm. introduce yourself while you were just talking about stuff a moment ago. Um, oh, I'm going to totally say, well, I had a lot of problems with lag last week too. And I know uh, I saw just about an hour and a half ago, a cable down, a line down in front of our house because of the you know snow and everything. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. say that it's probably being super laggy. Um, we're going to go ahead and I'm recording this. So uh, okay. we're, we're just going to say we're probably going to have fewer questions um, coming in live. Oh, Bridger says it seems to be doing a little better now. So that's good. Okay. I'm tweaking things that I can over here, trying to see what's going on. But wait, yeah, guys, if you have questions, go ahead and throw them in. Mm-hmm. If anything else, we'll do Q&A at the end. Um, and I will. I am recording this, so we will have a smooth stream that you can uh, get later. And um, and I apologize. This is, uh, this is what I do. Yeah, <laughs> like I can, oh boy, we can only work the best we can. But um, Emmy is coming in smoothly for me, so it's just a matter of pushing it out to Twitch. And um, but the but anyway, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can get it. Um, I'll keep messing with stuff here and see what I can do. Okay, but oh, dear. all that well. to say, well, Emmy, you were talking about fibers. Um, yes. So you said you had a hard line, no sheep, which I guess. Yeah, you know, no sheep. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and Shy Red Fox threw in in the chat earlier. Um, she said, "Oh yes, fiber arts hobby creep is real." So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I actually know someone who collected her dog hair and used it as fiber. Like, so are there advantages to some fiber? I mean, obviously we we did develop and choose sheep for a reason. But what are what are the what are the what are the reasons for choosing one fiber over another? Um, it, it really uh, a lot of it uh, in the beginning, at least, had to do with uh, just what you had available. Um, just from a you know, because if you are you know, say, living in like a northern Icelandic area, um, sheep are going to be really good. You probably can't grow cotton there very well. Um, so uh, you're sheep, sheep you're, waterproof. I mean, sheep, really- <laughs> yeah, and they you can move them. They they don't have to stay stuck in the ground. Right. Um, but it, basically, you're a lot of um, you know kind of earlier history periods are going to be limited to just geographically what grows or what stays alive well in your area. And then you're going to trade for the rest. Um, So like the silk trade was obviously a big thing that defined a lot of cultures and a lot of history. Um, And I mean, even, even to this day, um, China and India and, you know, that, that region of the world, um, you know, you need a particular climate to grow the, you know, stuff to feed the silkworms and stuff like that and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to try and do that outside of a climate in a in a climate where it's just inhospitable there's actually a really um if you want to get into uh, a weird little niche of history um trying to get reading up on american attempts to set up silk farms here yeah. is super interesting because it I know, like, ended up failing. <laughs> yeah, nothing of that. I just know that it mm-hmm. was attempted and kind of face planted. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so. I, I won't delve into that. I, I, uh, there's, if you go to the Henry Ford museum, um, they actually have like a little, little setup that, um, goes into that a little bit more about it. Like, here are some things from the short lived American attempt to grow silkworms. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, so I will I will have to look that up for myself later mm-hmm. because again I know just enough to know that that was a thing that happened and then it did not happen. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. So um so anyway so I, most of the time um especially in like a lot of historical um 
thing societies at least in in european societies you're going to see a lot of wool and you're going to see a lot of linen um so those are the two fibers that i have the most experience with um so if you are um you know you shave your sheep or whatever i'm going to start with wool you're going to get um something that looks like this and i apologize this kind of looks like intestines on my my screen <laughs> because of the color but um this is uh this is wool roving which is basically like loose um unspun fiber it's it's been processed and dyed so that's why it's like this fuchsia color um but as you can see the the fibers themselves you know i can pull them apart pretty easily there's not a lot of tensile strength there and so um the the key in making yarn and ultimately cloth is you need to impart a twist to it because if you twist these fibers together um they have enough friction against each other that you can pull and pull and pull and they won't fall apart. Oh, so um, so it's just friction that's holding. When yeah, you, when you okay, because I mm -hmm. knew um, I know a few people who spin for fun, um, mm -hmm. but I always just assumed there was like I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's the same in rope making. Maybe it's all just friction. Maybe uh, I yeah, just didn't know that. Okay, so it is. Yeah. So and you called that roving. Yes, so this is wool roving. R o v i n g. Mm hmm. Okay. Hashtag and, today I learned. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I, I keep seeing this like uh, video in my YouTube mentions, uh, suggestions come up that's like why you shouldn't knit, like try and knit a big chunky blanket out of wool roving. And I can tell you right now without watching the video that it's, they're going to say there's no twist in the roving. So it's literally just going to fall apart. Um, so it, depending on, on how fluffy or thin you want your yarn and, and what you're planning on doing with it, um, that's going to determine how, how much fiber actually goes into a particular length of yarn and how tightly you're going to be twisting it. Um, I'm sure if you've ever taken, you know, a string in your hands and tried to twist it and twist it and twist it until, um, and then you bring the ends a little bit together, it, it'll, you know, helix up on itself yeah um that happens all the time when you have <laughs> um spun yarn that is not under tension um and so depending on what you're using you can get a very strong tensile yarn if you spin it together very tightly but then you're also gonna have um more issues with that particular type of yarn getting like a, I, I've heard like it has a lot of energy in it or it has a lot of twists. It, it, it just, if you take the tension off of it, it'll just become spaghetti and you have to un, untwist it. And it's, it's a big. So big having part. setting the tension properly mm -hmm. for your spinning machine is as important as setting the tension properly for your modern sewing machine. Oh, um, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so I, once you have your, your wool roving and it's nice and processed and doesn't have like lots of bugs and dirt and stuff in it, cause sheep, you know, don't, they go outdoors, like, they, they go outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, you are going to want to the next process. I've already got a little bit of, um, stuff here. You're going to take, uh, these are called cards, or you're going to card your wool, basically. So um, these are carding brushes that I already have some of that, that wool roving attached to. Um, but you're basically going to go ahead and um, 
start out with a little bit of wool on one card. I'm going to try and hold this so that you can see it. Um, and, oh boy. Hold on. Helps if I actually have the correct card. While you're adjusting there. that. Yeah, while I'm Sharon doing it. Sharon Fox says in the chat that she did cat hair just to yeah. see if it worked. And a spinnery in Finland mixes wool and dog hair. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so the point of carding your wool is basically to get all of your fibers going in one direction. Um, and then you are going to very carefully peel this off of your thing. And and for those who are listening to the podcast, these look like giant dog hair brushes. Like they're... They really do. They I look like know. slicker brushes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I, I didn't know that everyone who owned a German Shepherd was actually just carding wool. So... <laughs> yeah. And um, so then I have like this little cake of um, wool that's basically going in in one direction, and depending on it's a very um, well organized dryer dryer. It is, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you, I I can't do this on camera because I don't have the correct surface. But basically, you will kind of roll a little cigar out of it. Um, and depending on the type of yarn that you want to make, you can either roll this so that you make like a little kind of like a little enchilada of of hair where the um the fibers are kind of going around in a circle or sometimes um if i want to make a a tighter yarn i'll roll it the other direction to keep all of the fibers like parallel to each other so like um, a longitudinal tube am i saying exactly that? Am yeah I, okay yeah um, so but the, and i'm sorry i'm just clarifying because this is totally like I, I, I'm just like, oh, wow, I just thought that wool came off the sheep, like the sheep head yeah. pads, and that's how it works. No, um, but um, that's not what I thought, but, you know, as, as far as process goes. Um, but I had no idea that you could choose which direction to roll your fibers to get different effects. So can you can you go into just, like, slightly more detail on that, just because I think that's fascinating? Yes. Um, so I, I, I actually, I'm blanking on the terminology here, but, um, depending on the behavior that you want your, your final yarn to have, you can do, I think it's woolen or worsted yarn. Um, you might want to put this in the show notes because I'm not sure if I'm getting these terms mixed up. I believe, um, woolen yarn is very fluffy. The fibers are actually, um, kind of going in all sorts of different directions like they're they are twisted up and kind of locked together but the end result is a very fluffy yarn that kind of fills up space especially if once you weave it into cloth and you submerge it in water and then those fibers have a chance to expand and kind of bloom out um it they kind of fill in the gaps a lot easier versus worsted yarn where the fibers are kept parallel to each other as much as possible. So you get a very slick, strong yarn, um, relatively speaking. Um, And that tends to do more like, it it has a smoother finish to it. Um, It's uh, it's stronger. Um, And it's also apparently more pain in the butt to deal with. So um, I don't know. I always hear readers be like, I've read so many historical things that use the word worsted and I knew it had to do with the weaving, but I never knew like exactly mm-hmm. what that meant. So another another hashtag today I learned for me today. So all right, yeah. Um, so I am going to attempt to. Uh, well, I have I have a spindle um, 
And I also have a spinning wheel that I'm going to try to show you guys today. Um, but basically, your next step, you're, you have this little taco of like happy, you know, yarn of fibers that are ready to go. And basically, um, I'm going to hold this up to the camera, but also try to kind of describe what I'm doing. Um, you want to get these in a position where you can pull out just a little bit at a time and very slowly like control how much you know you want approximately the same number of fibers leaving in a predictable stream basically as you you pull it out of this this bundle it's a very um, so fine line of cotton candy it, it is it definitely looks like cotton candy um and so probably the the most simple um way of imparting spin into this this fluffy cotton candy is something um, called a drop spindle, which uh, is literally just a stick with like a notch carved at the top. Um, this is one that uh, it's basically got like a fat middle, a notch at the top, and then it kind of goes down. Um, oh, Shy Red Fox says I'm correct on woolen yes. and worsted. I'm, I'm glad I didn't get those terms <laughs> mixed up. Um, but then uh, you your uh, Spindle can also have more more features. So um, one big thing is that you can add a uh, what's called a whorl, uh, W-H-O-R-L, I believe, to um, either the top or the bottom. They come in, in both. Um, and some of them are removable, so, like something that uh, this one doesn't have a removable whorl, but it's, it's just like a top one. Um, and then if you have a whorl, you can have a little notch in it that kind of helps you keep your fiber from from you know slipping out but um basically you're you're going to be holding this uh so that the spindle is suspended by the the yarn that you are creating and um I, you're and i wish you could see more of my body i'm going to back up here a little bit because i'm going to show you park and draft which is like the beginner beginner technique that's everybody's best friend here let's see if i can back up all right so i've got my my uh spindle right here um and uh when you're when you really get going this thing can constantly be be spinning around the entire time so you're gonna be holding it up by one hand and ideally your um your fiber source is gonna be held in one hand like this and you're going to be feeding in fibers with one hand and you're going to be imparting spin with the other hand um and so this i'm not going to try to do this because i'm just going to drop it because it's been a, a couple months since i've i've worked with this particular one um but it this will be spinning and this length of yarn will eventually be um you know start up here and then extend down till it gets almost to the floor or wherever it's comfortable for you to stop you're going to stop wind it up put it back on the hook and then just you know keep dropping it and this is a a very you know accessible thing to do you know if if you have like peasants or or you know poor people or or whatever like it's it's something that um i think historically like even children were expected to be like hey you know you got hands yeah learn to do this i don't care that you're four years old um you know but um, so that's that's one way of of making um, yarn, and I know some so, people who are really really good at that, but I'm not. <laughs> I know you have cats. 
So how does that yes. work out? <laughs> um, I, so all of the yarn that I make is at least 1% cat hair. That's just <laughs> that's how it works. It is a cat sheep blend um, <laughs> and dog blend too. But with, with all that spinny, with all that spinny attraction going on, um, you're... Um, or, or do your they, cats just they honestly like, oh, she no just does they, that and it's not a thing. yeah they're they're not super duper interested like if okay. if i had a kitten i'm sure they would be all up in that business but my <laughs> my cats are old enough now that they're just kind of like oh she's being boring again because she yells at us when we get too close <laughs> Um, uh, like Bridger's comment, drop spindles are either deceptively difficult or I'm surprisingly bad at them. <laughs> you know, like- yeah. So there's um, if if you if you're practiced enough, and I I got good enough at this point that I was able to just be continuously moving. Um, that's great, but you don't have to be that good to be able to spin on um, a drop spindle like that. You can do something that's called park and draft, where basically instead of simultaneously feeding um, fiber into the twist zone and also making sure that you're you're imparting twist to the yarn, you can split those two activities up where basically you don't feed any fiber in at all you kind of charge your yarn with twist then put your spindle between your knees and have it held and then you have both hands to feed the the fiber into it and you don't have to worry about like your spindle falling on the floor because oh no the yarn was too weak and it couldn't support the weight of the spindle and now my foot hurts because i dropped my spindle on it and all of that other stuff that's never happened to me so (laughs) (laughs) so in the category of things that can go wrong if Mm -hmm. i do drop my spindle like is there any way to like does is that yarn can that be joined or am i just gonna have to be doomed now i have a short piece of yarn how how does this work you can absolutely join. It's it's okay. actually very easy. Um, and and like especially you you are going to have to be making joints constantly because like this this roll lag is not enough to make a usable True. that makes sense. you know length of yarn. So uh, it is super duper easy. One finger the, warmer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. The so I I brought my spinning wheel in here today as well. I don't know. Um, we're probably about halfway through our time. I don't know if we want to get I mean, super duper deep into the discussion of how this works but i would like to see a spinning um, wheel because everything i know about him is that you prick your finger and die right like this is I, my summary i don't have a knowledge. pretty i don't oh, have okay. a pretty old world <laughs> spinning wheel that you can prick your finger on and die so i it's mine's more compact and sporty i guess because i have commitment issues i'm gonna move my um camera here so hopefully I can get in frame. Uh, can this? Oh dear. Um, you might have to get a little creative here. I'm sorry. Well, and if this is too difficult, we can go on because I know you have some amazing looms that I get well, to see occasionally. Okay. Well, I do want to show you guys. I just need a, a surface that I can actually show you guys on. And we'll back up here a little bit. Okay, now you can actually see the top of the spinning wheel. Oh, hey. Um, hello. So um, I'm going to bring this up a little bit. Uh, this is a very modern spinning wheel. Um, it has two pedals on it. And um, the main business of what happens is, is up here. So basically you have a... 
something called a bobbin, which is similar to a sewing machine. Um, it's, and it's basically the same function where it's a, um, you know, a container for your thread, basically. And that's where the thread that is, uh, or the yarn that is spun is collected. And then, um, uh, man, I'm having a brain fart and forgetting the, the terms of all of this. But um, basically, you have a, let's pull this up here so you guys can see a little bit better. Elena is pointing out in the chat that the traditional Sleeping Beauty uh, tale, it was prick your finger on a spindle rather than on a spinning wheel. But if I recall correctly, ah. isn't a spindle on a spinning wheel? Is that not true? Or um, I could be totally making that up. I, did, I You know, it, I don't know enough about spinning wheels to to yeah. say yes or no, right. um, because I'll, the one I'll in the put Disney that on movie my future future research business. <laughs> I know that my spinning wheel does not have a spindle on it, but there there are um, if you. I think want Shai to, just identified your spinning wheel. So <laughs> it is an Ash for Joy. Yes, um, it's it's very cute, and it's it comes with a backpack. You can take it places. What? So yeah, um, so you can take it out to the sheep. And no, I'm kidding. You can. Okay. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, this basically the, the spin action happens right here because it is threaded through, um, a small little metal hole that basically spins around when these foot pedals are attached. I'm going to, I'm going to run it for you here. Um, so you can see that's spinning and starting to work open. I, I had it going in the wrong direction, so it's actually unspinning the yarn. It's important to get it corrected and going in the correct direction. Um, but uh, this is something that makes uh, spinning yarn very, very much faster. It's also got a lot more moving parts and is more, you know, technologically complicated. So um, depending on your fantasy world, uh, they, they might have some version of like a spinning wheel or something like that. But um, by by and large, like drop spindles are, are very, very ubiquitous um and like good for people who have lots of times on their hand time on their hands and not a whole lot of other stuff um in the winter with no netflix uh yeah so uh and basically he's got us in the chat says the old wheels started as spindle wheels look up walking wheels so there we okay. go okay okay i was not completely making things up i just didn't have enough detail to be uh, let me see here <laughs> if i can get a decent angle for Spinning. I, I'm probably only going to do a little tiny bit because um, I don't. This angle is probably not fantastic, but um, so basically, what this is doing is it's got a tensioner that, depending on if I release tension on this yarn, it'll there's like a, a force that wants to draw it and put it on the spindle or the um, wants to put it on the bobbin. Um, so the yarn uptake is basically defined by me releasing, you know, being like, okay, you can go. And then I, it, it'll get drawn into the spinning wheel. So but if I just skill to get that right tension, then. you have to, yeah, that's defined okay. by the spinner. Um, and so like depending on on how tightly twisted your yarn is going to be um you know you you might sit here and pedal a lot and impart a lot of twist into the yarn before you let it go onto the bobbin um i'm spinning something that's really really skinny and usually very thin yarns need a lot more twist to be able to to stay together than if you're making a really thick bulky yarn um but whoop, and i'm going backwards again so 
Um, but this is nice because it's it's very easy to just kind of like zone out and kind of do do your own thing. Um, and you don't have to worry about dropping your spindle and you can have both hands involved in um, you know managing just the the amount of fiber that you're you're feeding into the thing. So it's it's very like you can sit back, relax, do your thing. I'm not making super fabulous yarn here because this is not an ideal setup. But um, and then basically, if I want to stop, I'll probably just like leave my my thing sticking out. Usually, if I have a little bit thicker yarn, this will just kind of hang there, and then my cats will want to play with that because <laughs> that's like super awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's you get yarn. Um, you also uh, what you are spinning there. If you've ever um, you know taken a close look at yarn, uh, is not plied together. So that is another thing that um, if you are making yarn to use, depending on the function that you want to um, achieve with it you might end up putting two or more of those strands together. And so what that is called is a single, um, which is just a, a single twisted piece of yarn. Um, most yarns for knitting and like crocheting and stuff like that are at least two ply um, or more, depending on you know what you're looking at. And, and the nice thing about plying multiple singles together is that um, that phenomenon of like springing up on itself if the tension is is taken off of it that doesn't happen when you have a correctly plied yarn okay. um so it makes the fiber a lot more manageable um and then also you know it, it tends to make things stronger um so depending on on what you want to do that's that's cool a okay. lot of historical weaving was actually done with singles so yeah, I'm really sad that we're having the lag for the chat because I, I know, know that like of of everybody I think like that I can see in the chat or on the screen or whatever, I am the most ignorant person here, which is great. This is why this is learn with me. But like I know that um, you know, Shy Red Fox does a lot of this historical I know um, things as well. And I would love to just for the two of you just go go together. I don't know, we will do that. I know, I was really but, looking um, forward to that. <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry. Um but yeah, we can we can always do this again. Like I I feel like we're gonna have a lot of twenty twenty one happening. So <laughs> I so yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, single ply, uh, historical, and mm -hmm. now we've got thread or yarn. Now what? Yes. So now you have a lot of yarn, and I, I will. We're uh, we're pretty through like our our chunk of time, so I won't go too much into fiber management. But there are like other steps in between making the yarn and plying it, and then getting it on a loom or even into like a ball or a skein um, that it, like imagine you're working with like the world's longest spaghetti noodle and like you know it's just you have to keep it from getting tangled up on itself it's it's a nightmare so there are a lot of little tools um, like that historically a lot of these were found um, and this is really confusing because I looked at a picture of it before I knew what it was and I was like what what does that do? I don't see how that how that does. This is something called a nitty knotty, which um, a lot of times they're presented like that, but they're actually a lot more functional if you rotate like that. And you basically will take um, thread. Um, 
that is on your spindle in a big wad that you need to get off your spindle. And um, you wrap it around like this. Oh, I have seen this. Yeah. And yeah. so then um, you get, I'm not going to do this for very long until I can get to the other side here. Um, but this is what allows you to get hanks of, of yarn like that. So now it's off your spindle and you can either twist those up into, you know, okay. the little bundles that you, a lot of times if you, um, buy like hand spun yarn or yarn from fancy yarn stores, they'll come in like a twisted, like rope type pattern almost. Um, and that's because like you can very easily go to from that form to this just like a big loop type form as well. Um, so that's how you kind of know it had a personal touch to it. Bridger is talking about yeah. being so soothing. And this is this is your, it is, your illustration yeah. of personality types because I completely believe like there are people who would be like repetitive motion, handling, nice, soft, you know, like totally. And and for me, I'm just like, I have done the same thing eight times in a row. I can't now. <laughs> yeah. These are the polar opposites of personalities here. So yeah. I uh yeah. I did, um, like the closest I can come to anything that we're discussing was I did weave my own Zori out of, uh, hemp, uh, hemp, what is it? Hemp twine, I guess, basically at that mm -hmm. point. Um, and, and that was fascinating and I learned so much and, oh my gosh, like I, I thank God it was a one-time project because if it were something <laughs> like I would have to be doing regularly, <laughs> I just, yeah, totally different. We had, Hey, you know what? God made a lot of personality types so we can all get along. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Go. So uh, we yeah. weaving is a really good hobby or fiber arts are a really good hobby, like as an adjunct to another form of like stimulation, like, you know, listening to something or watching a TV show or something like that. But like, I, I love doing this stuff, but I have to have something else going. Otherwise I, I will just get bored and leave because it is very <laughs> repetitive, but it's, it's a very nice, thing if you have somebody who just is like I have to be doing something with my hands at right. all times well, yeah I mean I can totally see why for that personality type it would be great because mm -hmm. it's tactile and it's repetitive and it's low hopefully low stress like you're not yeah. setting on fire or anything <laughs> yeah. but yeah I, mean, I completely get that um it's just that's one of those that's great for other people <laughs> so. yeah 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 all right. Um, I, I so what, one of the books, if if you're interested in just like the history of weaving in general, um, that I it has a very interesting premise. It's it's called um, women's work, like weaving throughout. The, gosh, I let me let me look at it because I'm gonna say it wrong. Um, women's work. Um. Women's work the first uh, 20,000 years, um, which is a very good overview of like historical weaving in general. Um, the, it kind of starts out with an introduction saying that, you know, like why have fiber arts traditionally been associated with women and like the home and stuff like that. And their argument is that um, it's because it is something very repetitive, but can be picked down and put up a lot. Um, that's, it's something that can be very easily interrupted and you don't lose a lot of progress that kind of 
lent itself to people who were staying home and saying like watching kids or stuff like that. Not that like men can't watch kids too, but just from like a historical perspective, if you have a job that, you know, you're going to be having a lot of interruptions, weaving kind of gels into that a little bit more than something where you need your full attention on something at all times. So I know historically um, in a number of European cultures, you know, women would walk around Mm -hmm. with their weaving, you know, on, on their yeah. belts so they could just pick it up while, while mm-hmm. you're standing in line at the market or whatever the case may be. Exactly. And um, or like, go oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just, like, yeah. that's just, um, and when I first, you know, encountered that, I remember thinking, because, you know, I'm thinking of like, you know, again, what, what do I know? Everything came from Disney movies. So you need a wheel mm-hmm. and you need like, you know, piles <laughs> of straw and pile, you know, whatever. But, um, but the, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh, how portable was that really, you know, if that, I mean, if, if that clearly was the case and it just, um, because I knew so little about it and mm-hmm. that just kind of blew my mind that you could just walk around and be making it. And I know people carry their knitting with them today, but that's mm-hmm. a much more compact, in yeah. my head, you know, process. So yeah, I just, that was something that just surprised me mm-hmm. on that. It was expected to be portable. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't want us to run out of time before we start talking about actual weaving and looms and stuff like that. Cause right now we've only gotten to yarn. Um, <laughs> well, so if we need to make this a part one and part two, that, that's I okay. Would, um, would let that happen. So the, uh, I have a, a loom behind me right now. That's got my current project on it. Um, it's pretty. I'm not sure how well I can, I really wish I could set this up in a way that, is not going to kill my laptop and allow me to show you guys what's going on with it. Uh, here, let's do that. Okay, so I'm going to move this in screen here. There we go. You've got about, so you can kind of see what I'm doing here. So um, the the basic part, the the whole premise behind weaving is that you have the yarn going in two different directions and it's interlocking, you know, with itself over, under, over, under in particular patterns. Um, And so the, this is something that's called a rigid heddle loom. Um, It's, it's not the oldest type of loom that there is, um, but it is a relatively like older type. I I think that there's um, evidence of like Romans using particular types of of rigid huddle looms before. So it it is pretty old technology. Um, But basically the fibers that you set up first on the loom um, are called the warp threads. And they are like really long threads. Like if you, you know, when you go to Joann's or something and you're buying fabric at the store and, you know, it, it comes in, you know, however, like 54 inches wide by however many yards of stuff you want to buy the the warp thread is determining like how long your bolt of fabric is actually going to be um so these warp threads that i have on here are maybe about like six or seven feet long but they can be much longer and they're they're spun up on um oops on both sides of this so that i have like a manageable working area Um, And then the second set of threads that you add to that are called the weft threads, which go back and forth, left to right. Um, And I always remember them because like warp is, I think of like warp speed from, you know, Star Trek or sci-fi or something, because, you know, they always go like pew, 
like away into the distance. Um, and that, you know, the direction of that the warp threads are traditionally arranged is up and down or like away from you. Um, so my, and, if I'm comparing this to a modern piece of fabric, my mm-hmm. selvage is going to be along, it's parallel to the warp threads. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and so the uh, warp threads themselves are usually contained on some kind of roller or, or something like that. And it's very, very important in weaving to keep proper tension on them, which is why a lot of looms are going to have some kind of like ratcheting system like, like this one has um, so that you can tension them correctly. Because if they're all flopping around all over the place, you're not going to get like a nice tight weave. But if they're too tight, you can't actually separate them to pass the weft threads through them. Um, so with uh, this particular loom, what is, is going on? You, you, you have to have some way to raise and lower particular sets of, of warp threads. Um, and so f- with this one, what I have is a... Um, a rigid heddle, which is basically just like a a frame with a bunch of holes in it (laughs) that um, I've threaded every other small hole with one of my warp threads so that when I raise it up, like, oops, like that, I now have a V-shaped opening between these these areas here that allow me to pass one of my my shuttles that have um, weft thread on them in between them. And so uh, I'm actually, this is a project that I'm actually doing two shuttles with. So I have to pass both shuttles through, but normally you're just gonna make one one pass. Um, Bridger is going to write a sci-fi story with weft speed to jump sideways weft speed. between <laughs> the yeah. And I think that's brilliant. I love it. So that's awesome. I wanna see that. Um, and then the other cool thing about this particular um, thing is this particular loom is that uh, the heddle that the rigid heddle that you have also kind of acts like a beater. So you know I have a you know really loosey goosey like a, a pass of uh, weft thread in here that is not very close up against the other weft threads. So I, I'm actually going to take this off and beat it up against here to pack them together into a nice even weave and then i can put it back in a either the neutral position like i have when it's resting or i can go to the down position instead which effectively lower raises the opposite set of threads so this is this is set up to do basically just plain weave at this point which is your your very basic over under over under type of cloth um which uh, historically speaking, you know, there's lots of plain weave stuff out there. It's also called tabby weave, um, like T-A-B-B-Y. Um, you'll see that in like a lot of historical uh, sources as well. Um, but a lot of like twills were very, very common, especially in Viking times. Um, I'm seeing the, how does the heddle give you the opening yeah. of the opposite direction? Um, actually, let me grab a, another heddle out. Um, hold on just a second so I can show you one that doesn't have, it's not full of yarn. So if you're using a loom with weights, 
I'm mm-hmm. assuming that's one that is a different style that does not have the what you what you described mm-hmm. with the ratchets here. So would would that be something that where you would hang those warp threads vertically and then weight them? Is that how that would Absolutely. Work? Okay. So um, that is actually something that is very uh, that the Vikings like to use a lot, um, called a warp weighted loom. Yeah, I actually um, learned about that while I was doing my research for the Songweavers Vow, and they used oh, yeah. intestines and human skulls. Um, that was the <laughs> component. So yeah, not that's not historical, but um, <laughs> but so I was like, oh wow, that's that's pretty cool. So now I'm trying to picture like how you would do that so yeah <laughs> um so to to give you guys very briefly a close-up of what a heddle looks like when oh, or a rigid wow. heddle looks like when it doesn't have yarn in it um you basically have these very long holes these openings and then you have these very short holes and they alternate so i've got basically a piece of yarn threaded through tiny hole big slot tiny hole big slot and then um because the holes are tiny when i push this up the yarn in the tiny holes has to be forced up where the yarn in the big slots just kind of stays where it's comfortable and same thing when i pull this down that's what creates the the alternating opening pattern so how long does it take to set that up like oh <laughs> so, okay that's the boring part <laughs> I was gonna say, is, is is that as tedious as it looks it, it sounds like it is yes. supremely okay. tedious <laughs> so um it, it is it is my least favorite part of weaving and if anybody thinks that that's their favorite part of weaving you should come and be my best friend <laughs> there's collaborative effort do all of my yeah do all of my warping for me <laughs> um but uh yeah that that is tent like the the spaghetti wrangling like the the really like oh my gosh i need to keep this super long pile of fibers from getting tangled up all of that happens when you're putting it on the loom and then when you have everything weighted and tensioned correctly and it's um you know you're just weaving back and forth you know taking it, it's called taking a pick is passing the the warp thre- the weft thread from one side to another is called a pick okay um that's the fun part but getting it on the loom is is not fun um but going actually going back to um warp weighted looms they are a super cool thing that i i would recommend that you guys google if you don't know like what they look like i'm going to try to describe it but a visual will help um they were popular with uh, the Viking culture and other cultures for a very long time because they took up very little space. Um, so basically, your warp threads are hanging from a a tall horizontal beam that's you know above the head of the weaver, um, and it's supported by two um, poles that and basically leaned up against a wall. So you know if you have just a big um, you know, rectangular frame basically leaned up against a wall. You could have a space to weave and take up very little room, and it, they also tended to be pretty modular. So you're hanging your warp threads up on this this large overhead beam, um, and basically tying them around um, like stones or you know, like soapstone with like little donuts were one thing that was very commonly used um but basically like like, throwing us a photo in the chat so yay oh good okay um and that uh even though it's they're not that easy to weave on because the it's very very easy to um have a lot of undulation in the width of your your cloth if you're not careful um i've i've seen uh 
I've been in a historical reenactment camp where they had one of those set up and they just kind of let, you know, a bunch of different people try doing a few picks of weaving on it. And you can see like the, the cloth start out one width oh. at like the top and then it just kind of goes and gets turns into like a trapezoid. Um, and is, it's, that it, the, you know, the, is that because the weft is getting too tight or how does yes, that? Yes, okay. that is a that's a tensioning issue. So it's okay. it's very it's rather difficult to get a, a nice even width on a piece of cloth on a loom like that where you don't have um, you know something like a rigid heddle or a, a a beater or a reed that is you know reminding you like hey this cloth needs to be this width and we're gonna start acting real weird if you <laughs> put things too tight so um so that's, you had to be really good at it to keep it you had to be very good at yeah, it to have okay. a very consistent width so this is the this is the advanced weaver um i'm, I'm, I'm yeah. pointing at the screen like you can see it so i, mean, actually, I want to <laughs> mention that um that photo that that bridger linked to which i will put in the show notes as well um, actually looks very much like when I was in Denmark doing research uh, for things mm-hmm. and I went to a lot of reenactment villages and whatnot and yeah it's exactly that like it looked it's very period so but uh, yeah then they didn't actually mm-hmm. use the human skulls that was <laughs> only only the Valkyries but yeah okay <laughs> so but um, yeah and so um, depending on the arrangement of the um, the heddles that you had, which uh, it, a, a heddle is basically just any sort of connection or string or, or thing that wraps around a single piece of, of warp thread and allows you to pull it apart from the, the general group of warp threads. So um, if, say, you look at that picture of the um, the rigid, not the rigid heddle loom, the um, warp weighted loom that was put in the chat, you'll see um, about in the middle of the frame about where the the weaver's waist uh, would be if they were standing in front of the loom. You see a couple of um, like horizontal sticks sticking out that have other bars resting on them. Um, And if you look at that central bar, you'll see like a bunch of like tiny little thread like wrapped around it all the way across. Um, Those are probably heddle bars where, um, you know, maybe like every fourth thread or every second warp thread has a little piece of string tied around that and the heddle bar so that when you grab a particular bar and you pull it towards you, you're pulling that set of warp threads out to to open that shed so now you've got Um, to keep track of all those bars as well you do oh this is definitely the advanced version yeah Yeah. okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) like they're not even color-coded here come on all right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so okay so wow um and I don't know, because the lag in the chat is so great, I don't know when Bridger asked this question. I don't know what, what, what we were talking about. So um, she asked if we would just weave string by string across. But I think that's what you're saying there with the heddle bars. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, you, you can, like, I, I call this, like, potholder style weaving because everybody's had those, like, little, you know, that little rectangular frame with the little tabs on it where you take the little loops and you put them on there and you you know that's like a craft pack that you got when you were five years old and um you can do the over under over under thing um each time but any any experienced weaver is not going to sit around and have time for that they're going to use some some kind of loom system that has heddles in it that allow you to separate the groups of warp threads easily 
Okay. So, um, but yeah, tr traditionally with um, with Vikings, there were um, they did a lot of twills, which you would usually have to have four separate groups of warp threads. Um, plain weave is nice because you only have to have two because it's just every other thread. Um, and depending on if you get into like really fancy looms, you can you can have as many heddle bars as you want, um, but that means it's more complicated to manage. <laughs> say, that, sounds, that sounds like at some point you're just showing off here. Yeah, so. you you are. <laughs> so, so speaking uh, of showing off, I I know I've seen some of your really amazing Viking trim things oh can, yes can actually you, oh my gosh flash any of that for us because i do i totally and completely forgot to to bring this up because i was gonna talk about it a little bit later um so this is actually a really cool historical method uh called tablet weaving that here i'm gonna hold With up the original the, historical world of warcraft yes. cards I know. Um, this is this is a trim that is based off of a, a uh, extant Viking pattern that I'm working on. Um, it's it goes along like the top of my dress when I'm done. Um, but the the cool thing about tablet weaving, I'm going to make sure that this is on here. Um, <laughs> yeah, his war, World of Warcraft cards were not historically accurate, but um, <laughs> your your basic uh, setup is that you have a pack of tablets or um, cards that have a hole punched in each corner. They are a square. And um, you raise and lower the sets of threads by rotating the cards in a particular pattern. So I'm going to go ahead and just rotate all of these guys forward here. Um, and so I basically brought up one, you know, one set of threads while lowering another set of threads. And I'm going to put this back. Otherwise, I'm going to get all confused when I pick up this project again. But um, by alternating which cards you rotate forward and backwards, um, you can create a lot of different cool patterns. And this is something that um, the ancient Egyptians did. This is something the Vikings did. This is something that this a is, lot of medieval cultures did. This is early punch card programming. This is- It is, this is yeah. Exact, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, and depending on, you know, this is, uh, let me show you an example of the, the type of pattern that I'm um, weaving here. But basically uh, you will, get to a point where you're going to be rotating some cards clockwise and some other cards counterclockwise. And depending on how you threaded them with what colors and which directions you're turning, you can create a lot of cool different um, patterns that just allow you to make almost any pattern under the sun. Um, but that is something that is extremely portable. Uh, you, you can attach it to a belt and um, tension it by you know, hooking your warp threads over your big toe and just like kind of sitting down and doing that. I have tried that and it's for people who are younger and more flexible than I am. That's how I did my Zori. And yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, this is historically accurate and I'm glad I did it, but now I'm done. You know, like, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that, that is something that you, the cards are basically your loom like they they are your thread management and your um your uh you know heddles and all of that other stuff so um and they it's it's super portable super easy um even when you get into later cultures where uh you are like 
you know, whole cloth is, is a little bit easier to access. That was actually used as a common way to finish off hems and raw edges. Um, okay. You would actually encapsulate the, the raw edge in a tablet woven line um, oh, in some okay. cases. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So there's actually a really cool, um, there, there is a YouTuber that I really like, uh, named Morgan Donner, who actually just, uh, in the past couple months put out a, a nice video where she's doing the hem of like a, a Greenland gown, um, in that way. So I can send that to you and we can put that in the, the oh, resource yeah, pack if you great. want. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So we alluded to this like very, very briefly at the beginning, but, um, you know, to, in today's fast fashion world, we have no idea how oh. fabric and, you know, and clothing used to be so incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, because everything now is super ultra disposable. So can you just give us an idea of the time commitment here to create something like, I don't know, enough cloth to make a shirt because um, I I know I've read, I didn't look anything up for this, but I've got some numbers in the back of my head that I'm vaguely remembering that I just want to hear your, your thing first. Oh boy. Um, Well, so I'm, I'm not the most experienced weaver ever, but like my, my first big weaving project I made about, um, three yards of 28 inch wide cloth so like you know if you take like a shirt and you calculate the average surface area um we could probably math it out but at one point when i was really in my groove of like just sitting down in front of the tv weaving as much as i could possibly stand before my back was decided to rebel um i probably averaged about two to three inches of of weft per hour um on a 28 inch wide fabric so um that that's like it, it's gonna depend very much on the width of your fabric the comp you know how complex your your pattern is which i was going pretty fast with like my particular pattern um but it's it's incredibly labor intensive you know a full finish like you know garment like a shirt or a dress would be very easily hundreds of hours worth of work and that's not even counting the the amount of time spinning there there's an inordinate amount of time that's put into just creating the yarn before you can even put it into um you know cloth and and start weaving it together so so I did a real quick Google because I didn't trust mm-hmm. my memory, and I was, I was had in my like vaguely in the back of my head that if you took the number of hours to create, you know, the, to, to to spin and then to weave and then to actually mm-hmm. fashion that into a shirt, and you translated that into like an hourly wage, that a typical medieval peasant level shirt, not the we're showing mm-hmm. off shirt, um, would be about three thousand dollars in today's money. And, um, and that's what I was remembering. And I was like, ah, before I commit to that, let me real quick, look this Mm -hmm. up. And I fortunately had saved it and I was wrong. It was in fact, $3,500. So, (laughs) yeah. So even more. Um, so yeah, just, you know, when you, when we talk about people had a set of clothing and Mm -hmm. you did not replace that clothing until it literally, you know, there was not enough fabric to patch it back together. Um, so yeah. So, but I'm, really glad that you brought able to show us like what that um mm-hmm. you know what that process was because yeah we just don't get it in today's you know two dollar t-shirt world you know oh yeah yeah 
Um, and, and actually, kind of, kind of going off of that, and you can stop me at any time because I know we're over time. Um, but it, you'll you'll also see that amount of labor um, that went into making that cloth also affects the fashions that you're going to be creating with that cloth. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if you go like if you go all the way back to Roman and Greek times, a lot of the fashions were literally just draping a rectangle of fabric around yourself. Because I mean, you spend all that time weaving and spinning and all of that other stuff why would you cut it <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know i just it's like knitting a whole sweater and then just being like okay it's time for me to make the center for an opening zip 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 yeah um, you know you're gonna die a little bit on the inside well and um, the same way in that your really expensive clothing was just more fabric because that was your yeah. way of being like let me flex on you because I've got, you know, two squares, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah um, Bridger's pointing out this is why rag sellers were a thing, you know, in the chat. Like this is, you know, you can't you can't waste any of the new fabric. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so. then like kind of the natural evolution of that, um, once you start getting away from just I, I'm wearing a rectangle of fabric on my body, um, a lot of clothing was either based on um, rectangles or triangles um, where there was almost no no fabric waste. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you, you know, you're not going to have a lot of curved seams. That's something that comes in later in fashion because you can't really, like, once you cut, you know, a curved seam to kind of nip in that waist a little bit more and make yourself look, you know, skinnier or whatever, there's not a whole lot that you can do to incorporate that little weird C-shaped piece of fabric that you trimmed out of the garment unless, you know, you're going to just completely shred it up again and use it, like, for stuffing or, you know, um, something like that. So it just, yeah. you, you will see more fabric waste become a, a later thing in fashion. Cause it was just so intensive to, to create all I of that stuff. Jump you didn't continents, want to... But if you go mm -hmm. over and look at, you know, Japanese clothing, yeah. um, your, you had your standard loom width, which I'm not prepared for the codes, but I want to say it was 14 inches. Um, it to, sounds about right. I yeah. think so. And, yeah. and then everything all your clothing was constructed about around take you have x number of 14 inch pieces and you you and everything was a straight line and everything was those 14 inch mm -hmm. pieces and yeah so okay yeah okay i as you say we are out of time but i was having a great time so yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. um so i will get those resources and um we will put those in the show notes um for people and if if you did get a, a jaggy stream tonight, I'm really sorry, but hopefully the I've you know I've got the re recording, the replay should be fine. Um, so we'll make sure that it goes up nice and clear, however it is on Twitch at the moment. And um, Emmy, thanks so much for coming. I learned things. Yay! Oh, thank so. you. I I hope I wasn't too all over the place. I I really had a fun time, and um, yeah, um, I I love fiber arts. It's it's a fun thing. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I want the learn with me's to just be like let the nerd flow. Like let's just yeah. have a good time. So I know yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna officially wrap up here, and then we will hop over to Elena, who is doing laser cutting and other cool stuff tonight. Oh, and Bridger says she would be up for a round too. So um, maybe we could, ah. maybe we, we will we will keep an eye on that in the future because yeah, yeah I'm all up for learning learning. So here's what I find as a writer. I am not ever the writer who's like, I'm going to write in this period. Let me go learn everything about this period. That's not how my brain works. My brain just sucks up details from everything. And then mm -hmm. that appears in my writing. So actually, the more random bits and bobs I pick up, the better my writing gets. Because I, 
if I'm just like, I'm going to write in the setting, I don't know enough to know what I need to know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and Simon Fox says it's a lovely chat about Aww. one of her favorite topics ever. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish it could have been a bit more interactive because I was really looking forward to well, like, and, Fox chiming in more. <laughs> and I'm totally up for like, if we want to do stuff in the future yeah. where we pull in more people and everybody mm-hmm. gets to show off their work and I'm just happy to sit here and take notes, like, and it's my own personal tutor session. Like that's fine too. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but okay. Anyway, uh, so for those of you listening at home, uh, this has been To Write and Have Written, and I am still Lara Van Arndonkbaugh, and this is still Emmy and Ivora Vett, and you can find her, follow her on Twitter and everything else where she does share pictures of her gorgeous trim in progress and things. <laughs> and, um, and that is it. And then next week is our create-in, so I will see some of you next week for that. Thank you for listening. You can find details on the weekly live stream, upcoming guests and topics, subscription and support information, and more at lauravab.com. Your shares, reviews, and support are very much appreciated. Until next time.